0: see how this one works. Congratulations on making it. I'm wondering how many people are going to arrive here at 10 o'clock. That's what I'm wondering this morning. But you've made it. A very, uh, a very confident young Presbyterian uh, minister was quite excited because he had a visit from John Stott. And when John Stott arrived, this confident young Presbyterian minister said to him, uh, you know, Mr. Stott, uh, it takes me about five minutes to prepare my sermon on a Sunday morning it takes me the time from leaving the manse just over the road to get here on a Sunday morning and uh, John Stott didn't say too much the master preacher anyway they went through the service and this confident young Presbyterian minister went up and saw the master of preachers and said how did I go uh, Mr. Stott and he said I think, young man, you might want to ask the elders to buy the manse a little bit further away from the church. Now, I've come all the way from Mornington this morning, so I'm very prepared, let me say. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that's the kingdom of God. This morning, we're going to explore one of the central figures of the Old Testament to help us on our journey of understanding and experiencing the kingdom of God. And the characters, of course, Abram. At least 13 chapters in the book of Genesis are devoted to this central figure. And we read in Genesis 15:16, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. The story begins in the country of Haran. So if you've got a Bible, or even one of those blue books in the pew, uh, turn there with me to Genesis chapter 12, and I'm reading those first five verses. The Lord had said to Abraham, "'Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing.'" I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years of old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So we have this aging gentleman, 75 years of age. Uh, There's hope for us who are over that 50 mark yet. And he is told by God a sevenfold blessing. He's given a sevenfold promise in those first five verses. Some people have said that those first few verses of Genesis 12, really the Old Testament is an unpacking and an exposition of those verses. All of the Old Testament after this point, in one sense, can be a working out of these seven promises that Yahweh has given to Abraham in these first few verses of Genesis chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you I will curse those who curse you and the seventh promise and perhaps the most significant of those seven promises all people on earth will be blessed through you all peoples on earth will be blessed through you question when did these promises that Yahweh gave to Abraham when do they get fulfilled We're going to explore that question this morning. Well, American presidents seem to think that sometimes those blessings get invoked on them. I will make you a great nation. It's not just the current uh, president that has invoked that. A number of American presidents seem to think that this blessing applies to them. Uh, But these are promises to God's people through Abraham. Abraham meaning exalted father. Now, at this point in the narrative, God hasn't made a covenant with Abraham. He's commanded him to go. He's commanded him to leave his homeland, to leave the familiar, and to go to a place that isn't specified. Yahweh just simply says to Abraham, Go, leave behind your father's homeland and his households. So. Abraham went verse 4 as the Lord told him and lot went with him Abraham was 75 years and he went and he set out from Haran obedience is Absolutely part of the character of Abraham when God tells him to do something Time and time again through the text Abraham's response is to simply do as he is told he has a few other character flaws, but one of his virtues is certainly his obedience to the Lord's. So he takes his nephew, he takes his barren wife, Sarai, and we learned that in chapter 11 that Sarai is, is unable to have children. He takes his possession, they set out for Canaan, and they land in this place about two hours north of Jerusalem. That's where we are located at this point. Abraham traveled through the lands as far as the site of the great tree of mamre and shechem at that time the canaanites were in the land the lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring i will give this land so he built an altar there to the lord who had appeared to him now i want us to really focus in on verse eight from there he went on toward the hills east of bethel and he pitched his tent with bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Bethel literally means the house of God. Bethel on the west, I on the east, and I means the house of ruins. So Abraham pitched his tent right in the middle of these two cities Bethel and I. Now, to understand the significance of this, we need to consider the significance of these two cities. And to do that, I'm going to consider two men who encountered them, ancestors of Abraham, if you like. The first was Jacob, and the second was Joshua. Now, Jacob was Abraham's grandson, and he inherited some of his granddad's flaws, if you like. Abraham, after this encounter here, heads down to Egypt. He heads down with Sarai because of a famine. And when he goes into the place of Egypt, he says to his wife, Sarai, who we learn is particularly beautiful. She is very beautiful, the text says. And Abraham says, we're going to tell the Egyptians that you're not my wife, that you are my sister. So he's going to tell this outright lie to Pharaoh. The consequences for his wife, uh, we can only begin to imagine. But that was something of the character of abraham well his grandson as can often happen these flaws can get passed down his grandson jacob inherits the sense of deception his name literally means grasping deceiver and so jacob returns many many years later to this place of bethel in genesis 28 We learn that Jacob has a dream at Bethel and the significance of this dream is twofolds Firstly the dream that Jacob is given confirms the promises that Yahweh had given to his granddad all those years earlier He confirms that God will give the land. He was lying on to his descendants That's the first significance of the dream that Jacob has the second aspect of the dream is that he sees the stairway from earth heading up to heaven and he sees angels ascending and descending on it. Now this is the very language that Jesus uses in John chapter 1 when he calls Nathanael. He says you will see this ladder with angels ascending and descending but Jesus adds the inference that they are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now this is the vision, this is the dream that Jacob had in Bethel. In Genesis 35, Jacob, after having reconciled with his brother, after having gathered his household together, ends back in Bethel, and he settles there. The Lord says, you're going to settle in this place. But he says, before you go in there, your household must purify themselves. They must get rid of any foreign gods because this place is holy so you must be holy let's call Bethel the gateway to heaven the other city is I it's a very different picture it's literally a heap of ruins and so if we considered Dunedin on our left I was gonna say we could consider belcluther on our right but that would just be going too far for our belclutherites but literally i means a heap of ruins and the next time we encounter i is in joshua 7. so i is the second city that the israelites encounter when they cross the river jordan the first city that they overcome is jericho and they do that miraculously the next city is i joshua sends out a couple of scouts to i and they come back very confidently and they say look it's just a little city you don't need to weary the whole army, Jacob says. Joshua says, You don't need to weary the whole army. Just send up two or three thousand of the army. So, very confidently, Joshua sends up two or three thousand, a small portion of the army, and they get absolutely routed. They underestimate the power of this city. They underestimate it. They get destroyed. 36 men are killed and they flee in terror. Not only do they get beaten back, but we learn in that encounter, one of the Israelites, Akin, steals some of the devoted goods. He steals some of the idols from that city, and he hides them from Joshua and the rest of the Israelites, and Yahweh's judgment falls on Akin. Yahweh says to Joshua, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove these idols. The sin of one man, Arkan, brought judgment on israel so let's call i the gateway to ruin we have the gateway to heaven on one side that is bethel and we have the gateway to ruin on the other side that is i and Abraham pitches his tent right in the middle between bethel and i what's the spiritual significance of where abraham lands well I think this is the perennial tension for God's people down through the ages. We are called to be holy. We are called to be separate. And yet we are called to engage with this broken world. Listen again to what the seventh promise was that was given to Abraham and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Part of the commission that was given to Abraham. Was not just to be a blessing for himself not just to make a name for himself not just to make a nation but to be a blessing for all the nations all peoples would be blessed through him and so significantly and symbolically he pitches his tent between Bethel and I this is the tension that we all carry ourselves we are called to be separate we're called to be holy And yet we are called to be a blessing to this broken, sinful world that we live in. How do we live that out? How do we live that out? You see, I want to say this morning that the blessing that God promised to Abraham, the blessing that God promises to you and I is not a commodity to consume, but it's an aroma to be shared. It's not a commodity to consume that we keep for ourselves, but it's a, Aroma to be shared with all the people that we come in contact with. Yesterday, I had that so beautifully demonstrated to me. We had a visit from a dear couple. Some of you will know the household, Amy and Damien. They got radically saved four or five years ago. We baptised their households, and Amy and Damien visited us yesterday, and they were sharing how they had gone to a new church. They're now living in Rolleston. They'd gone to a new church up there and they'd struggled to connect with that church. They'd gone to a bigger church and they'd struggled to connect with that church. They're quite shy, they're quite quiet. English is their second language, and nobody in this little church where they were seemed to be engaging with them or making them welcome. And Damien said to me, he said, You know, a few months ago, we made the decision, rather than waiting for the people around us to invite us to their place, we made a decision to say, Well, Once a month, we're going to invite people into our home. And they said, you know what happened? All of a sudden, people started talking to us. All of a sudden, people started to engage with us because they took the initiative. How often do we sit back and say, isn't it somebody else's responsibility to extend the blessing to me? And God would say, how about starting with your own hearts? You see, the blessing of God is not a commodity to consume. It's an aroma to share And that was the call of Abraham like good coffee in the morning like bacon and eggs any time of the day like your mother's cooking in the evening the blessing of God is an aroma to be shared Abraham understood this and so he pitched his tent between Bethel and I in obedience Abraham followed the Lord's leading but there was much more testing for him to come as I've already mentioned, famine drove him down to Egypt. On his return, his nephew Lot was kidnapped by warring kings. There were nine kings in the area and they were all fighting. Lot gets kidnapped, and Abraham, with his followers and his servants, go after them and they rescue Lot back and they defeat these nine kings. And then there is this in chapter 14 of Genesis this enigmatic figure of Melchizedek who comes out. And we learn that he is the priest king of Salem. He's the priest king of Salem. And he comes out and he blesses Abraham. And Abraham responds in worship by giving him a tenth of all that he has. In chapter 15, Abraham wavers. He wavers in the promises that God has given to him. He reflects on his own childless state. He knows that God's promise that he's going to bless him and his descendants. And he looks at his wife, Sarai, and she is barren. And, and he asks the question of Yahweh How can this promise really unfold? My wife is barren. And Yahweh takes him out at night and he says, Look up at the stars. That's how numerous your household is going to be. He reaffirms the promise. And we learn these prophetic words in Genesis fifteen six, and Abraham believed the Lord, and he was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham at that point is in a right relationship with Yahweh. It was credited to him as righteousness. He's in a right relationship with Yahweh. He's done nothing. The covenant hasn't even been signed, the the covenant of circumcision hasn't even happened at that point, but he believed, and so God credited to him as righteousness. He believed the word of God. In Romans 4.11, the Apostle Paul describes how Abraham becomes the father of all who believe. Even those outside of Israel, even those outside of the law, even those outside of circumcision, that includes you and I, Abraham becomes the father of all who believe, the Apostle Paul says. He goes on to describe how in obedience and in faith he became and was made righteous by God. So we see in this character of the Old Testament, Abraham, we see one of obedience At the beginning of his journey, we see this profound testing and the struggle of the journey itself, but we see his faith shining through, and his faith is the means for entering into God's righteousness. And God reminds that the blessing that he has poured onto him is a blessing for all peoples. That's the goal, and that's the purpose. Come back to that question, when do the promises of God that he gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 when did they get fulfilled when do the promises of God get fulfilled in Abraham's life was it at the birth of Isaac was it in the dream of Jacob when it was reaffirmed that this land would be your descendants perhaps it was in the renaming of Abraham perhaps it was the renaming of Israel or perhaps it was finally when Joshua crossed the land crossed the River Jordan and could finally say, this is our land. When were the promises of Abraham fulfilled? Well, all of these are partial fulfillments. The promises recorded in Scripture are all partial fulfillments. But the Old Testament ends up with a curse. The Old Testament ends up by invoking one of these words in Genesis 12. You can have a look later, but Malachi ends with the following words, I will strike the land with a curse. That's the last words of the Old Covenant. I will strike the land with a curse. Why? Well, because Israel failed to live up to the promises. Israel failed to live up to the promises that were given to the patriarch Abraham. And so we turn the page into the New Testament. We turn the page into the New Covenant, and it begins with the words, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. As we turn from the Old Covenant and as we turn to the New Covenant, we see a new hope on the horizon. Jesus of Nazareth finally fulfills what Abraham and what Israel could not do. Miraculously born in his life, Jesus sets about blessing everyone he comes into encounter with. But many people opposed him. At the cross, the powers of Rome, Israel's religious leaders, the crowds of the people, all shouting that he must be crucified. The sin of the world is all getting directed at him. The Roman leaders, the religious leaders, the crowds of the world, they're all saying he must be crucified. And this one, the child of Abraham, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. He speaks a word of forgiveness in the face of such opposition. And he goes to his death on the cross. But the powers of death and the powers of sin are defeated. In his resurrection, the new life of the kingdom empowered by the Holy Spirit has begun. The promises of Abraham are finally being fulfilled. At his ascension, he reigns from on high. And his reign is now available to all the nations. Not just to a specific place in a specific time, but his reign is available to all the nations scripture records that at his return every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father where do you stand today where do you stand in the promises of abraham where do you stand in relationship to the person who fulfills these promises the lord jesus christ who now reigns in heaven The seventh promise that was given to Abraham was all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I said how there was such testing for Abraham and at times he wavered in those testings and at times he was completely faithful. In Genesis 22, we hear of the profound story as he goes up Mount Moriah As he's commanded to do take his son Isaac and sacrifice him there and they head up the mountain and they carry the woods and they carry the fire and the text says the woods and the fire and the knife are placed on Isaac's back and he carries them up the hill and halfway up the hill Isaac says The wood and the fire. Dad, I can see the wood and the fire. The wood and the fire are here, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? And what does Abraham say in response? He says, God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. I was only reminded this week that as you read the text of Genesis, a lamb is not provided it's a ram that's provided. You see, the sacrifice that was I've offered in Genesis 22 was not the sacrifice that God was working towards. The sacrifice that God was working towards so that we can know righteousness happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago when his son went to the cross for you and I. Where do you stand this morning in the promises of God? Abraham believed God and it was credited To him is righteousness. Do you believe God this morning? Do you believe the promises of God that in his son, you can enter into that place of righteousness? You can know the blessings. Every blessing that is articulated to Abraham, everything that God has said to Abraham is found now and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Do you believe God when he says that? And if you do believe that significantly, then you need to know that the seventh blessing describes that this is not just for you as significant and as profound as it is these blessings are for you but they are not just for you the blessing of God is not a commodity to consume it is an aroma to be shared and you know what that aroma is it's the aroma of Christ when you leave this place this morning when you have a cup of tea this morning you take with you the aroma of Christ if you have believed and trusted in God's only son the lord jesus christ let me conclude with the words from the apostle paul in second corinthians paul says the following he says but thanks be to god who always leads us as captives in christ triumphant procession and he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere for we are to God the pleasing aroma of christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. This is the aroma that we carry, the aroma of Christ when we believe and put our trust in him. Let's bow our heads in our hearts in prayer. Father, we thank you for reminding us from your word this morning of our imperfect father Abraham, of our flawed yet obedient Yet, faithful Father Abraham. Thank you for reminding us that you can use anybody Isaac, Joshua, Peter, myself. You can use anybody because it's not about us, it's about you. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, would you grant us the faith to put our trust in your Son? We thank you that all of your promises, all of your blessings, Are fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus and we thank you that as we put our trust in you you credit us as righteousness you bring us into a right relationship with you and so I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning for any that don't yet know you Lord would you grant them the saving faith to say yes to say no no to the house of ruins and to say yes to you Lord Jesus Lord, thank you for the blessings that you pour into our lives. Thank you for the gift of the fellowship that we share one another. Thank you above all that you have credited to us as righteousness because of your son, Jesus. Thank you that in him we see the ultimate faithful, grateful, and obedient son. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would place your seal over us as we continue to worship you, as we continue to love you and seek to love you and to seek to love one another. Lord, we thank you for this gift of righteousness that you hold out to us in your Son. And in his name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.